Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. I'm Richard Bliss, the host. You're listening to episode 140. Welcome. You know, we had a lot of uh, comments from our last episode, episode 139 with taxes. I'm going to have a few other tax people on because there's a whole lot of questions that more people had. This episode is uh, brought to you by Impressions. Uh, Aldo Giazzi with Impressions. If you have a board game that you want to distribute into retail, he's the man to talk to. We want to thank him for that. Now, let's just go straight into our guest. My guest today is someone who brings a, a slight unique perspective to Kickstarter. You know, I've had guests on before in the past who have uh, had things to share about projects that have been successful and f- potential failures. You know, just recently I had Days of Wonder, Mark uh, Kaufman, the VP of Marketing at Days of Wonder, on because they launched a Kickstarter project over at Days of Wonder for Small World and canceled it and then relaunched it and re- retooled it and relaunched it. I brought a, a guest on who is a similar sit- situation. Project went live on Kickstarter, wasn't doing quite as well as they'd hoped. They canceled and retooled and have relaunched. And so I've invited Mark McKinnon on the show to talk about Upon a Fable, their current Kickstarter project that's running out there. Mark, thank you for being on the show. Uh, Thanks, you, Richard. I really appreciate the opportunity. So, Mark, uh, the project, so tell us just as we get going, this is a a board game. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the project so that the audience has some perspective of uh, what we're talking about. Sure. So it's a, a Euro-style board game. Uh, it has a board, has some cards, has a work replacement, uh, and it's it's not out of the ordinary as a board game. Uh, it certainly fits very well into the, the standard board game category that people be playing with uh, with their friends on their board game nights or, or whenever they have the chance. So it's, it's nothing that's completely revolutionary, uh, but we think that perhaps it's, uh, it has a marketplace. Okay, and the project went live. You uh, originally put it up on Kickstarter. When was the first one that went up? Uh, it was at the beginning of March is when we first launched it, and uh, it was very quickly we determined that it was not going to be successful. Now, that was – same name. It was Upon a Fable. You raised $4,300 for that project. You were asking for 30000 at the time. And so this time, uh, what were some of the things that you changed that you decided that you needed to pull that project? Because – I mean, you, you were over 10%. You were about 11 uh, 12% going along. What caused you to, to change and say, hey, we, we want to redo this? Sure. Well, when we took a look at the project and uh, we launched it, it was perhaps a little optimistic uh, without having done enough of the groundwork to get it to, to fund successfully. So when we launched it and didn't get the initial big push that most projects have, of course, it's at the beginning and at the end. And then there's a plateau somewhere in the middle. And when we didn't have the push at the beginning, it was very easy to forecast out that it would not be sustainable, given what we were looking at doing, given that we didn't have uh, any big celebrities or or anything else that would give us that big mid-season push. We thought very quickly, okay, if we didn't have the buy-in at the beginning, we didn't have 10, 20, 30% within the first few days, which really would give the foothold that we need to proceed forward. We knew very quickly if we entered a plateau period, that was going to be sustained for the majority of the campaign, and then maybe an uptick on the end, like, like of course, most Kickstarters do, that would give us a very strong indication we could not get it funded. So canceling it and immediately working to retool it on a relaunch seemed to make the most amount of sense, but the biggest focus was on the marketing of it, and that's what we really needed to focus on because that was the one thing that we were missing. I, I kind of thought that 
with enough Kickstarters, the way I would interact with Kickstarters, I regularly browse what's up in the game category. And so I see just about everything that's always put up there because I'm always browsing it. But we know that's not obviously how most people do it. Most people hear about it from a friend, family member, or online or somewhere else, and then they're directed specifically to the campaign. And we didn't have that. So our biggest push was definitely doing the marketing correctly. And for that, we ended up hiring someone, uh, a company that had that expertise. Okay. In, in that case, I mean, that's, that's worth bringing up a point, the marketing that you're talking about. Um, we're talking about when you said you hired somebody, we're talking about uh, kicking at games. Uh, James Matthew, who is uh, well-known in the industry, has been doing things, Minion Games, uh, for a long time, is providing some consulting services for folks like you. So uh, you hired him because I'm noticing, was this part of the decision? Because the project now is listed under his company, which isn't a game publishing company, instead of under your company, uh, which was – how do you pronounce your game company? Discami Publishing. Discami Publishing. So Discami Publishing launched the first one. Uh, which was your first project launched under Kickstarter. And then you switched over to Kicking It Games, and they used their – why did you use their name to uh, to launch the game rather than your own publishing company? Sure, that's, that's a great question, and it, it all involves uh, nationality. We're Canadian. Uh, and so on the back-end support, we could not host it ourselves. For the first campaign, uh, I had – distribution arrangements uh, with another company who agreed, uh, an American company, who agreed to host it for us on the back end of the, of the financial arrangements, because as Canadians, we couldn't do so. When the project was canceled and we were looking at going forward, we had a, a better opportunity to tweak our, our distribution arrangements for once we get into retail stores and moving forward, a company that I used to work with before when I was in the gaming industry previously. And because of that, we ended up losing that opportunity to work with the same person who was going to be our back-end support. So we certainly still needed someone to financially run the campaign. And if we were already using Kicking It Games to to help us with the marketing aspect of it and the promotional aspect, it just made sense to use their services as well to have them run the campaign. Because, again, as Canadians, it's just not something that we could do ourselves without American help. God, I certainly understand that. I have... Uh been done the same thing. I have a service that provides similar services to kicking it games and I've uh, provided services for Italian companies, UK companies, Canadian companies. Uh, usually though, I let them have the brand because I'm just providing the services on the back end. So it's unusual that, uh, is kicking it games doing anything more than, uh, helping you run the campaign? Are they going to be the distribution publishing, anything like that for the game afterwards? No, nothing like that. It's just relying on on James's uh, incredible knowledge for successful campaigns that he's run, and of course, you know, he's been in the RPG and the gaming industry for so long, and he knows a lot. And it's a great resource. We could have hosted ourselves; that was certainly an option. But we figured having someone with his reputation and uh, kicking a game was just getting started. But of course, uh, you know, James and Minion has a reputation, and it would once again work to our advantage. The, the name that's got me publishing means nothing. Uh, I may have a, a bit of a name and, and people perhaps know who I am in the gaming industry, but uh, it seemed to make sense to work with Kicking It Games to have them host it instead. What do you think? So in this case, uh, so this is t- my, li- my audience is listening and they're like, okay, uh, got, launch a campaign because I've been asked this question a lot. When do you decide to cancel it? Uh, and then what do you do different? So what did you, you, you use this generic term marketing but what did you do 
differently that you felt because obviously you got a bump and I'm not finishing my sentences here, but when you launched it the second time, you had a bump from those 44 backers and the $4,000 earlier, but why didn't you, uh, have more of a presence before you launch this game? Have you done a Kickstarter project before? No, this was, this was the first Kickstarter. Uh, as I mentioned, I've been in the gaming industry before, uh, yeah, certainly for a number of years, uh, won some awards, been around through distribution. I, the business aspect of game publishing, I was familiar with it, and, you know, who to work with, who not to, what you need to do. But the problem that I had was I was under a false estimation that if you build it, it will come. If I merely put a Kickstarter together, you know, in order to launch our game, because of course we need the funding to help us get the product to market. And I just thought that if we have a great looking product with amazing artists, excellent graphic design, professional videos, if, if the package was professional and well executed, the assumption was it would find the backers by itself. And that's completely false. Backers don't know about it. And there are some people that will stumble across it in the end, you know, through the very limited channels that we had without doing a lot of pre-launch marketing. We still end up getting uh, $4,000 worth of backers, as you mentioned. But doing it correctly the, the second time, making sure that we had everything in place, that we laid the foundation, working with the company that helped us uh, know where we're supposed to be tweeting, where we're doing the Facebook updates, uh, make sure that we had contests in place to get those social media connections that we needed. That was really quite essential to making sure that we did it right the second time. And the first time, it became very clearly within just a, a couple of days that it was not going to fund. And that's why we canceled it within the first week. So, uh, again, a large amount of our audience are gamers. Uh, they have their board game ideas. So when you went to Kicking It Games, uh, you talked about all the stuff that you just talked about. How much of this, uh, how much to help um, other project owners who are sometimes looking to hire somebody? Um, it's easier for you to say it than for me. So we'll pitch uh, James's company rather than uh, self-promote my own. Let's talk about James. What kind of things, how much of this is he doing and how much of this are you doing? What kind of divisional labor when you hire a consultant to help you manage a campaign like Upon a Fable? What kind of div divisional labor do you have there? Sure. Well, obviously, most of the, the content has to be done by the creators. You know, I know the game better than anybody else. And we kind of know the direction we're going with it. So when it comes to creating updates, uh, deciding you know, aspects that we're going to be pushing in the game, and of course all the the physical aspect of the the graphic design and the artwork, all that needs to be handled by us. But the the greatest thing with James and, and Kicking the Games, given how many successful Kickstarter games they've run, it's a great information. So if I wanted to do an update on a particular uh, aspect of the game, he may suggest, well, that's not the best way to do it. Maybe we could do it this way. Maybe we could tweak it this way. Uh, another great aspect is I, I knew we needed some reviews. I didn't think reviews were that important uh, on a pre-release game. I know it's more difficult to get people to do a review, a video review, or, or just a post on a pre-release game. There were some people that did it, but I didn't feel it was important. Well, that was very clearly a, a foolish decision, and we needed to get some reviews in there. And through the connections that I had, I arranged to have several reviewers, but James had made some connections and with Chris, uh, who's uh, working with James. Um, managed to hook us up with people that I did not have access to. For whatever reason, the communication wasn't as efficient. Where someone else you know, knows someone, it's often a better way to get it in. So 
the advantage of the advice as well as connecting us with people that they knew that would be able to assist us in the campaign was really the, the key aspect of it. The content I had to create, working with my graphic designer, working with the artist, we had to create what was going forward, but the guidance that uh, a service that provided kick in the games was really essential for us to have a much stronger push the second time. You are the, if I understand, you're the designer of this game, right? That, that's correct. It, it's my first board game design. I, I've designed a lot of role-playing games and card games, uh, but in terms of, of board games, this is my first decision to to go into that field. And my audience, again, talking to them, there's a lot of board game designers out there. There comes a question, and I'd like to ask that to you, because the question is, you can be a really good game designer or you can be a really good game publisher, but seldom can you be both. And in your case, you chose to go the path of both designer and publisher. Uh, is that something that you would recommend to somebody else who's in the similar situation that you're in? Well, certainly uh, the dream, of course, for anyone who designs a game is to have it being a massive hit on the scale of the Catan or, or uh, any of those very popular games. The reality is that there's lots of people that have these game designs and they have trouble finding someone to publish it for them. Uh, I'm involved in several design groups and you know I meet lots of people that the play test a lot of games that people have written. And yet the difficulty that they have in getting in front of publishers, convincing them why it's a good product, uh, can be quite frustrating. Where what I wanted to do is, is in the end get a game out and working with uh, a company that I'm involved with, Discovery Publishing, as a kind of a, a self-publishing type route, seemed to make sense. And that's the, the direction I took back in 97 when I wanted to put it on an RPG, and no one would ever take an RPG design you know, the one time that I wanted to do it. So I self-published, and that evolved into a company. And that was kind of the same route taking this way, of course, having years of experience to back it up where previously uh, you know, it was kind of going into the unknown. Um, but my, my, I guess my question would be, like I said, you can do one or the other pretty good. And there's a lot of pitfalls and challenges that come to publishing a game, which is very different than successfully designing game. Has Discami publishing published any other games or is this as goes upon a fable, it goes Discami uh, publishing. Right, this is the, the, the first release for Disney Publishing, and you're right, publishing and designing are two completely different categories. Someone that doesn't have any experience in the publishing field, but they may be a great game designer, it's, it may be a little daunting to try to publish a game. My background, uh, although I started out as a game designer in the role-playing field, that quickly turned into I moved away from designing and I got more into the business aspect, dealing with distribution, uh, knowing the ins and outs of the, the printing field and the printing market. So the game design aspect is certainly there, but most of my experience in the industry had previously been in publishing. So it was an easier transition to do it the second time, knowing who I needed to talk to for distribution, for example, in order to get this game in stores and not just have it being a, a Kickstarter-only product and, and that was the only intention. But if I wanted to get this in stores, I knew who I needed to talk to. We're about out of time. Uh, I only have a couple, about a minute and a half or so. Um, you talked about the, your experience and reputation. You've had, the, this campaign has had some controversy around it, hasn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. And that stems from the previous company that uh, I was the CEO of and then I founded, uh, Guardians of Order. We are a role-playing game publishing company that unfortunately, uh, for a number of reasons, we ended up becoming insolvent uh, and closed our doors in 2006. And unfortunately, left a, a trail of unpaid invoices to freelancers, to printers, uh, other people. Uh, it's not a situation that's currently one of the, the highlights of my life, uh, of course, but that said, it's something that happens in business. People fail, ideas fail, and of course, businesses don't always match up to their expectations. So I knew that going back into role playing or back into the gaming industry by putting my name out there and not trying to hide as a designer and doing it under a pseudonym, but doing it as Mark McKinnon, I knew that that was going to attract some negative attention. It was expected. Certainly not surprised. Uh, people have a long memories in the gaming industry, and that would, in the end, have an impact on my current efforts. That said, that didn't stop me from going forward. I know that this is a great game, uh, and I want to get back into publishing, and this was a great way to do it with the game design. So, yeah, there was some controversy, certainly not unexpected, and I understand uh, the feelings that a lot of people have that, well, why would you trust someone who has had a failed company in the past uh, and doesn't perhaps support the efforts that we have? And that's expected. So uh, it certainly wasn't, wasn't a surprise. Moving forward, we know that we have the right tools and the right ideas this time, and that's what we're really focusing on, to, to have a successful Kickstarter campaign and then go forward into the uh, distribution market pass there. Well, Mark, I appreciate uh, – we're out of time. I appreciate you uh, coming on the show. This is some uh, good insights for people who might find themselves in a similar situation. Uh, I appreciate you uh, talking about – Upon a Fable, which is your current Kickstarter project that's out there. Our guest, we'll go ahead and wrap up here. I just want to say thank you very much for being on the show. Oh, well, no, thank you, Richard. I really appreciate it. And it's just really important that everyone knows uh, you can fail, uh, you can come back and relaunch a campaign, and maybe a lot more successful the second time if you have the right tools in place when you relaunch. Great. That, uh, that's a great message to, to end with. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Mark McKinnon. The uh, involved with Discami Publishing. The project is called Upon a Fable. It's on Kickstarter, being managed and run by uh, my friend James Matthew and his uh, organization called Kicking It Games, a uh, consulting practice to help games get on Kickstarter and be successful. We're seeing more and more, more of these pop up. Hopefully, you've heard something here that's been interesting and inspiring. I know that it's been interesting. Uh, take, we look forward to seeing your project out on Kickstarter so we can help you fund your dream. Thanks for listening. Take care.